With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sooner Nation, the online podcast, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Matt Hofit, along with Rich DeCray, um, many, many, many apologies for last week. Um, that's totally on me. Uh, one of the things that we really wanted to do once we started the podcast back up was be consistent. Um, technology finally allows us to do that with my job and traveling the world. But Rich, last week I was... Um, I was literally, I found one of the few spots left in the world that has no Wi-Fi. And uh, so we suffered for it, but hey, welcome back. How you doing, man? Good old Wi-Fi, man. It's, it's <laughs> great to have, isn't it? Dude, I, I am doing well. I am doing well. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, lots of things going on in the world of Oklahoma sports, softball, um, off to a fantastic start to the season. Actually coming home to Norman this weekend uh, to play the Courtyard Marriott Tournament uh, there in Norman. I know you're going to be out there covering some of those games, getting some photos for this, the website. Um, baseball rolling right now, 7-1 start on the season. We'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. But I think there's two really big stories going on right now with Oklahoma Athletics. Uh, right now, the you, you moved to that part of the year with National Signing Day over with spring football just around the corner where this is that one time of the year where there's kind of a lull in football and basketball takes center stage finally. And as I say that, it was a star-studded cast of football players uh, in the Lloyd Noble Center last Saturday for Oklahoma versus Texas with both Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray being there. Oklahoma basketball right now, I, I mean, I don't know, Rich. I, I go back and forth on this team, 5-10 and 10 in conference, 17-11 and 11 overall. Um, right now, ESPN Bracketology has them as a number 10, number 10 seed out in the West. I, 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 look, I just they're coming off of a 17-point loss to Iowa State on Big Monday. I can't see this team not being on the bubble. I get what everybody says. I get the, the argument of the strength of schedule. Um, but I mean, share your thoughts, a, a 10 seed. I'm happy with it as a fan, but I'm also afraid it just kind of sets Oklahoma fans up for a one and done in the NCAA tournament. And, and here, here's my question. I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to all on all this, if you're Lon Kruger and you've got a team with all due respect to, to the senior leadership on this team, but you've got a team that's building something with your younger guys like guys like Jamal Bienemy and you know Bienemy had with a huge shot block at the buzzer on Saturday would you rather these guys be in the NIT or even the CBI to get them a deep run in the postseason or would you rather be the 10 seed out west and go play a, a team like Iowa 
and possibly most likely be one and done in the NCAA. Where, where do you want to be and where do you think this team should be? Let me start off by saying this because I've held this opinion for quite some time, for several years now, to be honest with you. And that is just because a team does not fare well in the Big 12 does not mean they, they won't do good in the tournament or they won't get out of the first round in the tournament. Granted, upsets are always bound to happen. We see the higher-seeded team lose Oklahoma, assuming they are a 10 seed, assuming they continue this trend, and they're included in the field for the NCAA tournament. They would be a team that I would look to potentially upset whoever they're playing by virtue of being the lower seed in that pairing. But here, here's where it sits for me, Matt. Is as I look at this team, I still have a lot of questions. I, I viewed Christian James as that leader up front at the beginning of the season in the non-conference portion of the schedule. And then as the season went on, Christian James, I, I don't know if it was defenses were kind of focusing on him or if they had figured out a one-on-one -on -one matchup that would eliminate a lot of his skill or his potential from the game, forcing Oklahoma to look around at a couple of different players to generate some kind of offense. I think seeing a transition here towards the second half of the, com the conference portion of the schedule because I watched that game against Iowa State and the offense was running through Christian Doolittle instead of Christian James. Firing up shots, I would have called some of his attempts ill-advised or forcing the issue. But here, when we look at the NCAA tournament in Oklahoma, I think the biggest knock that everyone's going to get or not just Oklahoma, there, there are five teams, if I'm not mistaken at this point, who are under or who are sub 500 in conference play. Those teams are going to continue to get a lot of flack by being included in the field for the NCAA tournament. But again, I would rather play, play quality opponents than be paired with a team that I just know I, I'm going to completely run over. I want a challenge. I, I want something that's going to push this team not only to go beyond what they thought they were capable of, but put them in a situation because experiences are one of the best agents of bonding. If you can put them in the NCAA tournament, regardless if it's a team that should beat them, uh, which is most likely the case against who they're going to be paired with at the current point in time, but they're not even a guarantee. They're not a lock in my opinion, for the NCAA tournament. We've still got two games. We've got a week of the regular season, and then conference um, uh, tournaments will begin. So Oklahoma's got to do some work if they want to be in that field. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't think it's a lock at all for the NCAA tournament. And and I don't know, again, I don't know if I get on board with, you know, you made a great point about experience and what experience does as far as team bonding and maturation. And that's why I'm, I'm almost, like, th this team is not... I, I, I hate to, to to take this road, but this is not a team that's going to contend for Sweet 16 Elite Eight. It, it, this would be a Cinderella team should they make it that far, which the reason you're a Cinderella team is because no one thinks that you're going to make it to the, to the Sweet 16. And that's certainly where Oklahoma would be. But if you put them in, again, you put them in the NIT, you put them in the CBI, and they get home games, they have the opportunity to do postseason tournament, and you're building. Long Kruger's got a pretty good class coming in next season, and you have something to build on us. And I know everyone judges the success of a, of a basketball team in college based on their NCAA tournament appearances.
And so that's the big dance. That's what you want to get to. But when you're talking about long-term, seeing, seeing the future, I, I don't know that it's not better to take that lower road knowing that, that you've got nothing to play for either way. Second thing is there's three games left in this season, and I think Oklahoma's looking – I think they're staring one and two in the face going into the, the Big 12 tournament because their three games are at home against West Virginia this weekend, and then they've got Kansas at home on Wednesday night, and then they're at Manhattan for Kansas State, 16th team in the country. Um, I, don't, I mean, this, this could easily be a one and two finish, putting them 18 and 13 going into Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament, which I, I've always said that that magic number was 20 wins. So I, I feel like um, even though Joe Lenardi has them as a number 10 seed and he's looking at their schedule, I don't see an 18 and 13 team getting the number 10 seed. And I know I'm being completely a pessimist here and Debbie Downer at the same time. But that, that to me, Rich, that means they got to win twice in Kansas City to, to try to get that type of seat. Yeah, I, I think the, the flip side of that argument is Oklahoma can lock up that, that 10 seed. They can lock up a spot in the NCAA tournament if they can figure out a way. I, I think at this point, Matt, what we're expecting because of how West Virginia's season has gone is that Oklahoma will go in and, and they'll beat West Virginia. I'm not saying that's a given, but that's an expectation. And I do 100% believe when you look at Kansas State and Kansas, both ranked teams at this current point in time, if Oklahoma can secure a win over a Kansas, especially, talk about a huge end-of-the-year resume builder. If they can get a win over either of those programs, in my opinion, it, it locks them in regardless of what they do in the, in the Big 12 tournament. What I had said previously is that they would need I was having a, a, a chat with a friend of mine, a guy that I work with that, that you know, Matt. Um, but we were talking about this basketball team and what it would take. And I had initially said they would need to get at least one win in the Big 12 tournament. I still think that is the case because I'm not certain that Oklahoma can come in and beat Kansas State or Kansas. But they need to get at least two wins before the regular season and the Big 12 tournament comes to a close for them. Yeah, and see, I, again, I, I I want you to be right. Uh, I'm throwing that out there. I want you to be right, but I think they need three wins. I, I really do. Um, I think people are going to, at the end of the day, the selection committee, I mean, everything has been thrown out there about Oklahoma. At, they're going to look at what did Lon Kruger do the last, what, what has he done since that final four appearance? And I know it's supposed to be on a in a, a season-by-season basis, but it's really not. It's, it never has been. And and I think what's going to hurt Oklahoma ultimately is this isn't the Big 12 of the past. This isn't the Big 12 of last year or the year before the year before. This is a down year for the Big 12. And and people are going to say, well, okay, because Kansas State's in first place and not Kansas, that makes it a down year. That's not really what makes it a down year. What makes it a down year is how bad Texas has been, how bad uh, West Virginia has been. Iowa State has been mediocre. This is th- – there's not a – a group of of heavyweights in the Big 12 like there has been in the past. And and I think once you begin to dissect and look at this this conference and the strength of the conference schedule, this is not going to be as strong as an argument as it has been the last five or six years, just because the Big 12 is not the team or not the conference that has been the last five or six years. 
Is it not though? I mean, is this not the same? It's. I mean, it's not. Uh, is this not you, the you've same? Got, uh, here's, Go ahead. Here's what I'm is saying. Not the Hear same me one. Really because when we look at the SEC, the SEC gets the benefit of the doubt because of the quality of opponent that they face each and every week. When it comes to football, the Big 12 has for some time been challenging and has claimed it more often than not as the most challenging basketball conference in the country, far beyond what the ACC has been capable of in the past. They had put that kind of a streak on the table for the Big 12. Are we not going to give them the same benefit of the doubt then when these top tier or these extremely talented teams come in and beat up on each other? Does that not apply? No, I don't think it does this year. I mean, you, you've got okay. four teams. You got four teams in the Big 12 that have 20 wins or more. You, you've got five teams in the Big 12 with double-digit losses. I, it's, it's just it's not the same. I mean, you got five teams with double-digit losses, and then you got Baylor with nine losses right on the, right on the threshold of double-digit losses. They will have double-digit. That means you got more than half of the conference by the end of the season, more than half of the big 12 conference will have double digit losses. I, I, I don't, you've not been able to make that argument or make that statement about this conference in years past. Now, yeah, you've got a, a, a tight three team race at the top with Kansas state, Texas tech and Kansas all separated by one game total. Um, Texas tech being just a half game behind the wildcats, Kansas will full game back. But beyond that, it's, it's, it used to be, it used to be you're going into Kansas City. Okay, here's the Kansas Jayhawks. They're the defending regular season champions. And here's about five teams that can challenge them in Kansas City. You don't have that this year. There, there's not another four or five teams that's going to challenge Kansas State for the conference championship uh, in the tournament. You're going to have Kansas State as going to be the number one seed as it stands right now. You're going to have Texas Tech and Kansas two and three. Baylor and Iowa State is going to come down to them for that other first week bye. But no one beyond that is going to challenge, in my opinion, for the conference title in Kansas City. West Virginia, Oklahoma State, they're definitely out. Um, I, I feel this is an argument or a conversation that you and I had a, a while back, my opinion for Oklahoma to get into the tournament, the Big 12 is going to need to get seven to eight teams in. And if the Big 12 doesn't get eight teams in, I think that really damages Oklahoma's chances to make it in the NCAA tournament if they don't win 20 games. Yeah, I agree. And in that previous conversation, I said only six teams were worthy of tournament appearances. I believe you had a different opinion at that point, and we settled on the number of seven because it right. was in the middle of what we had said. It does look like it's trending a little more towards that six number at this point in time. I agree with you. If, if the Big 12 is not putting eight teams into the NCAA tournament, Oklahoma, obviously the first one out of that conversation, and TCU right there with them. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's five and ten in conference right now, TCU six and nine. I, th I think it stops. I mean, if, if, it, if it was right now, you know, the University of Texas has fewer wins and less losses, uh, excuse me, fewer wins and more losses than Oklahoma at 15 and 12. But Texas is they're 500 and in conference play, TCU and Oklahoma can't claim that there's no chance for Oklahoma to get there. TCU could run the table and finish nine and nine in conference. But I just, like I said, I, I think it's an uphill battle for Oklahoma. 
And I think it's something that you might consider. Okay, let's let's look at the CBI. Let's look at the NIT. I definitely think it'd be the NIT over the CBI, but I just feel like that there's there's more opportunity for Kruger to keep coaching these younger guys and start looking at next year, uh, getting back into the thick of this. Let's move on um, from basketball, unless you got something else to add there. Going into softball, you know, Oklahoma with two losses on the season in softball. Um, you know, typically Oklahoma fans, if you follow the softball team, you're not lose, used to them um, losing games. But when your two losses are to the number one and number two teams in the country, you really can't uh, be upset about that, can you? <laughs> no, it's it's extremely difficult. And Oklahoma has traditionally, historically, under Patty Gasso, scheduled uh, to be uh, – they, they've really put it on their schedule to be a part – of these tournaments, not that they're preseason, but it's because of the lack. I, I don't want to say lack of competition because the Big 12, historically, you look at Texas, you look at Baylor, and you look at Oklahoma as being contenders for national championships or to make an appearance in the Women's College World Series at the very least. Matt, you and I have been, and Baylor as well as Oklahoma have been there on, on at least one occasion. So when you're looking at the Big 12 and specifically Oklahoma, they're not afraid to schedule contests with these bigger named teams from the country. Florida State, we know Oklahoma played them, ended up playing extremely well on the offensive side of the ball and then kind of uh, just gave up a couple of home runs there, which put Oklahoma a little bit further behind than I think they would like to be in. They tried to manufacture some runs before falling to Florida State. UCLA, the number two team, an excellent team as well out west instead of out east this time. I'm not surprised that there are two losses. I'll tell you what I am surprised by. When we saw Oklahoma and Auburn beat after meeting in the Women's College World Series in that finale, knowing that they would likely play again at some point in time in the NCAA tournament, what did Patty Gasso do? She removed her ace pitcher from the game, didn't throw Paige Parker. Why? Because she didn't want Auburn to have more looks than what they needed when the first game or first series of the season didn't have a lot of weight. What did she do this time against Florida State? What did she do this time against UCLA? I mean, Giselle Juarez had to play in one of those games, right? Were you surprised by that? No, but see, I, I feel like it's a different approach this year with this softball team. And and because you know, it, tell me who is the ace, because you, even with, with Paige, La Paige Lowry and Paige Parker, you knew that Paige Parker was the ace and Paige Lowry was the change of pace type of, of player there. Is, is Mariah Lopez the ace on this team? Is, is it G Juarez as the ace? This this yeah. pitching staff is deeper than what they have been, and I I think it's more this year. I totally get what you're saying, and and I agree with what you're saying about the past. But I feel like this year it's really Patty Gasso. She's got a brand new pitching coach. She's got basically mm -hmm. a brand new pitching staff. When you right. when you put Shannon Sale on on there as well, she's trying to figure it out as well. And I, I think I think that's why you're seeing pitchers move around more than what you have in, in the past with these these early okay. these early tournaments. Um, yeah. Because I, I think I, – I totally – again, I totally get what you're saying, and I agree. 
playing these type of tournaments, going out and, and facing top 25 opponents with regularity, you know, they have a win over Arizona last weekend. Um, those, those type of things, they, they only help you when you get to Big 12 play. But I, I, I don't know that Patty Gasso and her staff are, are sold yet on who is the number one pitcher. They know they've got two really, really good candidates. But you look at, like, Mariah <laughs> Lopez dominated out in Florida, right? And, and we, we right. get done with that, that weekend in Florida, even though they lost to Florida State in that, in that classic out there. Everyone's talking about how dominant Mariah Lopez was. And then they go to California. They go to West Coast this last weekend. And they have where there's another, some familiarity with Juarez already. Right. And, and well. Exactly. And, and you have, but you have another good showing where your only loss is to the number two team in the country. And then mm -hmm. G Juarez is the, you know, player of the week in the big 12 Na national player national of, the week. of the week. Yeah. And so you got two different weekends, pretty much equal results. You got, you got run rule victories. You've got shutout victories over both weekends so you know this is a really good team but you come out of the first weekend going man mariah lopez is is a lot better than we expected her to be she could be the ace of this team and then you come out of the second week and go no this is clearly g juarez the ace of this team if i feel like that's just a a small small snippet of what patty gasso and her staff are going through trying to figure out the best way to use these ladies in the circle and is it is it like are are they going to do a traditional kind of like baseball does? You pitch, you know, when you have a you have a, a weekend series, do you throw one one day, one the other day, and then put sale in there, kind of to, to mix it up? Or is she going to do like she did with the Paige Parker and Paige Lowry, where you have a change of pace come in there because you can throw more in softball than you can in baseball? I I don't know that Patty mm -hmm. Gasso is there yet. But since you're going to be at the tournament this weekend, maybe you can ask her that question. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she'll just divulge any answer to any question that, that pops out <laughs> of someone's mouth. Here's here's what I'm, I'm excited about for this team, specifically looking at the pitching, is because when we look historically what Oklahoma has done in the circle, even dating back to Kalani Ricketts, it's been this dominant left-handed pitcher. Then Paige Parker comes in, and of course, Paige Lowry, both left-handed pitchers. Now you've got Mariah Lopez coming into the fold, who's a right-handed pitcher. And then that's a completely different look from what G. Juarez is doing. Now mm -hmm. you've got options. Now you can play scenarios, whereas previously I didn't feel like they had that ability. Mariah Lopez definitely got to see some game time last year, but I don't think anyone predicted she would be as good as she is the flip side of that coin is when you look at G Juarez here's someone who essentially uprooted themselves you know she's an Arizona kid grew up in Arizona played at Arizona State was an all-american there as a sophomore now she's transferred she's at Oklahoma as a junior and it's it's a new surrounding i feel like she's been trying to find her footing or more so find her role within this ball club, within this specific group, and her going back out to an area that she's comfortable with playing players that she's used to playing against, I think helps settled her in. And we should see her really begin to take off from this moment forward. But if you're asking me, Matt, it's a flip of a coin as to who is the ace. Oklahoma certainly has options 
things are looking up for them. And if they continue to play the way they are, what we're going to have to quickly begin to focus on is the, the bats instead of this pitching, because the pitching we should expect it to be pretty stellar throughout the remainder of the season. And I wasn't there with you last time we had this conversation and you said the bats were the major concern. No, and I, I mean, think apparently you're still there. I'm just you're pulling well, me aside. I, I think I think the bats are are better than than what I initially uh, suspected them to be. But anytime you have multiple freshmen in your lineup, you got to wonder. I mean, that that's a legitimate question, especially when you come off the World Series appearance where, and, and give Washington credit for for their wins over Oklahoma, but. Oklahoma just they could not string together timely hits. They could get hits. And you, you even look at that loss of Florida State, the number one team in the country. Oklahoma got hits in that game, but they couldn't string together the hits that they needed to to really push runs across. I think you you've got girls hitting the long ball. I, I think, you know, it, it's easy to say, well, look at Jocelyn Allo and not having the start to her season that she did last year. But you see the girls around her in that order really benefit from that because they're learning how to pitch to Jocelyn. And the flip side of that is Jocelyn's learning to be more patient in the plate. What this lineup is going to have to do, girls like Sydney Romero, who had a really big weekend as well, uh, they're, they're going to have to make pitchers pay for not pitching to Jocelyn Allo. Now, they're able to do that against the, the type of competition – they've played on in mass this season. They've not really been able to do that. Even in the win against Arizona, they've really not mm -hmm. been able to do that in, you know, consistently against the ranked teams that they've played. And so I still feel like that's something that you're going to have to wait and see what happens because right now I feel like if you've got solid pitching, there's the formula to beat Oklahoma is, make someone other than Jocelyn Allo, you know, beat you and take you deep. Callie Clifton has been amazing this year, and she's benefiting from that. Sydney Romero is benefiting from that. Shay Knighton is benefiting yeah, from that. But, but you go back you've got two power teams. hitters and these freshmen coming in to assume that role as well. And yeah, but again, but again, we're talking freshmen. So when you're right. talking freshmen, you you never know what what's – I mean, sometimes they're Jocelyn hey, Allo. was a freshman last year. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yep. Sometimes yep, yep. But she is well, – I mean, I, we're agreed here that she's not your typical freshman. And in sometimes they're Jocelyn Allo-like. Sometimes they're typical freshmen that need an adjustment time. Sometimes they're somewhere in between. Season's too young after really just two weekends to to know where this team is. But they, they've got this tournament coming up this weekend in Norman. They're, they're absolutely worth the, the price of admission if you can still get a ticket even to go see them right. play. I, I, I feel like they're still the, the front runner in the Big 12 Conference. And I think we're both agreed that the team that we're talking about right now is not going to be the team we see at, at mid-May as the Big 12 season's wrapping up and the NCAA tournament's about to begin. They will improve. They've always improved. And I, I want to make one more point about Mariah Lopez. I know people don't, don't tune in in mass to hear us talk about softball. They really, football is the one who pays the bills around here, and we'll get to that. But the thing is, when you, the, the, that I'm most impressed with with Mariah Lopez, and even G. Juarez to an extent, we knew, we knew who G. Juarez was when she transferred to Oklahoma. But when you lose a, a coach of the caliber of Melissa Lombardi, and then you've got a girl like Mariah Lopez who has experience but has not really been 
the person in the circle to see her improvement in the, even in the absence of a pitching coach, pretty impressive what's going on with this staff. And just let you know the extent of what Patty Gasso does and the staff that she puts around her girls to put them in the ultimate success, uh, ultimate position to succeed. I just want to take a quick side note, a little break here, if you will, because I don't know, Matt, you being out of the country, if you got to see this at all, we started talking about power hitters and the ability. Yes, I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. The, the home run cycle. How crazy. Yes. I was I mean, actually talking, you know, like, this is crazy. I, I was at an airport. I'm, I'm in, you know, if you listen to this podcast with regularity, you know, I'm in Central America right now, soon to be in South America. Um, but uh, I was in an airport today and I was flipping through Twitter and that home run cycle from, and we saw her, that girl um, in Norman last year in, in the regional against Oklahoma. Um, but to, to see, I was watching that on, on Twitter, watching all, all four of her home runs. It's crazy. She did it in her first four at-bats as well. Uh, but this guy in line with me goes, man, he, I, I didn't even realize he was watching Twitter with me on my phone. He's kind of standing behind me. And then he, she gets Weird. to the, the third. Yeah, is, yeah, stalker. Um, but she gets to the third home run, and the guy behind me goes, no way. And I was like, yeah, she just needs one more for the cycle. And then that the final one was the solo home run. but. Right. Uh, definitely impressive, an impressive feat. And if you haven't uh, seen that, you jump on Twitter or just type in Arkansas home run softball, whatever, and it's it's going to come up. Hey, let, let's stick with the diamond for just a quick second. And just just to mention, and we 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 does uh, Skip Johnson deserves more than just a mention. But Oklahoma, we're recording this on, on Tuesday evening, Oklahoma with a eight to nothing win over Arkansas Pine Bluff. Another shutout victory for the Sooners, seven and one on the season. Wednesday, they, they have another uh, game against Arkansas Pine Bluff before playing four uh, this weekend, back-to-back doubleheaders between Friday and Saturday this weekend for Oklahoma baseball. Again, baseball and basketball are similar, in my opinion, in that conference play tells the story. But impressive start to the season for Skip Johnson. And, Rich, the the thing I want to point out is with Oklahoma, with baseball, it's been pitching. Pitching has been the the struggle for this team where you got a, a pretty decent guy on Friday, a pretty decent guy on Saturday, and then just a bunch of, and I hate to say it, but a bunch of mediocre guys that that get through on Sunday. And if you can, if you're an opposing opposing team playing Oklahoma in a three game series, if you can take Friday or Saturday, you you feel really good about taking Sunday. I don't know that that's going to be the case this year, because Johnson's staff looks pretty solid one, two, and three. They got in some trouble over the last weekend when they had to play a fourth game, but there won't be a lot of opportunities to play a fourth game. Uh, until you get into May, start talking about Big 12 tournament and stuff like that. I think this may be the best where Oklahoma pitching staff has been. Really, I hate to say it, but this may be the best they've been pitching staff-wise to start a season since Sunday Galloway. I can't disagree with you there, pulling that as as one of the weak points for Oklahoma. I had sent you a message, you and I, I can't even remember what we were chatting about at that point in time, but I had sent you a message and I simply said uh, that that's the effect of Skip Johnson. We know that he really leans on his pitching staff. We know that he favors or he's at least extremely talented 
and skilled at coaching up those pitchers. We've seen it at his previous stay at Texas, who traditionally had one of the best pitching staffs in the conference. Needless to say, when I'm looking at Skip Johnson and I'm looking at this Oklahoma team, I'm attributing this change or we'll see a little bit further how, how good they actually are a little further down the road. But for now, it appears as though this is a good change. They're on the right path. And again, I have to credit Skip and really his mindset and the areas that he focuses on. Hey, man, are you still there? Yeah, cut out on me. Well, it so cut out on me. I, I think, no, I think it was my, um, I think my Wi-Fi went out here in, in Panama. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how much of that you heard about baseball and so forth. But let, let, let's move on and talk just a little bit about football, uh, the, the closest thing out. Um, Oklahoma has the opportunity when you look at scholarships to add to their 2019 class a big a big loss to me a huge loss in my opinion was Derek Green dropping out um initially says he wants to join the Navy now he's entered the transfer portal enrolled early was was supposed to be there for spring ball but never really made it through a first week of class kind of a crazy story but Oklahoma Scholarship wise can add to this class. You had talked about the need for a defensive tackle uh, to jump in here. When you look at Jonah Jackson, uh, uh, a grad transfer on the offensive line, choosing to go to Ohio State, RJ Proctor, a grad transfer coming out of Virginia, still has the opportunity to come to Oklahoma. He, he's still shopping around, but could add to this Oklahoma offensive line. When you're looking at the offensive line, defensive line, and potentially adding a grad transfer to it, what do you prefer? Do you, do you prefer to replace somebody like Derek Green with a one-year player so you can hit it up again next year? Or would you, would you be more comfortable adding to this offensive line? Well, I mean, the, the reality of the situation is although Derek Green has entered the transfer portal, regardless of how anybody feels about that, it's ultimately his decision and he has to make a decision that is best for him. So I'm not speculating on any reasoning why, but it does leave a hole. And I say it leaves a hole because Derek green was the only defensive tackle that was being recruited. They weren't bringing guys at the position as part of the 2019 class. Granted, you've got. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. You've got. Okay, I keep getting this error. That's why I said that on my screen. Um, you've got Neville Gallimore, who's a senior this year. You've got, I believe, Marquise Overton. Did we settle that? Yeah, he's you on the team. We're talking. Yeah, 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 he's there. So you, uh -huh. You've got a couple on the roster. Of course, they are older, and you'd love to get someone in there who's a little bit younger, who can do at least get some experience in preparation for this gaping hole that's going to be in the middle of what's already a suspect defense. When I begin to look at Oklahoma, I see the need for a defensive tackle. I just don't know it's as pressing as an offensive lineman. And I say that because Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley at the helm is an offensive team. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is go back and look at the previous two seasons where the defense has been a little bit lackadaisical, um, questioning effort, questioning footwork, whatever that might be, the offense has always hummed along and has really 
covered over a multitude of these errors from the defense because of the, the simple scoring output that they've been capable of. And it always starts on the offensive line with pass protection, as well as opening up those gaps for these talented running backs that we've got in a Trey Sermon. We've got Jalen Hurts, also a runner or capable of running the ball when asked to do it. And then you've got uh, the guy completely burst onto the scene. I'm blanking on his name, Matt. Help me out here. Help uh, me you out broke here. up. The, who are you talking about? Receiver? Yeah, it's a Charles no, running back. Running back. I said you've got Trey Sermon. I, yeah, my, I think my internet keeps going in and out is what it is, not yours. Um, but you've got Trey Sermon, and then you've got Kennedy Brooks. That, I couldn't think of his name. TJ Pledger as well. Opening up those holes has really been what has set this, the tone you said for this Brooks? offense. Yeah, did I not say his name? I mean, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if it's my internet or your internet, but you're talking about running backs. You know, TJ Pledger, definitely a freshman who who came in last season and had the chance to to play before he got uh, redshirted. But um, Kenny Brooks may be the other guy you're talking about. So he, here's what I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and, and jump in here. I'm not for sure if Richard's with us or not, but he, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and say this about Oklahoma uh, when it comes to this. Um, wh what do you do? Do you put in, if you had your, if you had your pick on a, uh, on a grad transfer that would come in, would you prefer to have a guy on the offensive line or the defensive line? Defensive line has played into Oklahoma's problems in, on defense in the past. It's, it's it's not been the main or the only problem, but it's been a, a struggle. And I've said this for a long time about Oklahoma and their defensive backs. I feel like their their technique is poor. I feel like some of that is on coaching. Some of that is on effort. But it doesn't matter who you are as a defensive back. You, you could be the best defensive back in the world. You're not going to cover a guy for eight or nine seconds. You're not going to cover a guy for six or seven seconds. You might be able to keep a guy covered for four to five seconds. And the that window is shortened by the play of the defensive line. And what Oklahoma does have is experienced defensive linemen. We talked about Marquise Overton. We talked about Neville Gallimore. But they maybe they're not the best defensive linemen, but they are experienced defensive linemen. What Oklahoma does not have going into this coming uh, season in 2019 is they don't have five guys across the board on the offensive line that are experienced starters. And, and that's why I feel like if you can pick up an RJ Proctor out of Virginia to come in as a, as a grad transfer, I take him over a defensive lineman because you're already restructuring your, your defensive scheme. You're, you're moving from a three, uh, four, three to a three, four, where really you need one guy there in the middle. And that may, that may help a guy like Neville Gallimore really, uh, really jump out of his shell, so to speak. He showed promise last season, but the, the, to me, the, the loss of Derek Green, regardless of what his decision was, regardless of what, what went right or went wrong with him, the loss of him is more on the future. It's, it's more on, on tw the impact on 2020, 2021, 2022 than it is on 2019 because I think Derek Green probably could have played this coming fall, especially being on campus 
and going through spring ball with the Sooners. But really, it was th- this coming season is more on Marquise Overton and Neville Gallimore than it is was going to be on Derek Green. But who's going to carry that toy? Who's going to pick that up once those guys are gone? Well, it was supposed to be Derek Green. And now you got to start all the way over. And when you look at Oklahoma's recruiting class for 2020, it's off to a good start. You got eight hard commitments for the class of 2020. But guess what? None of them are on the defensive line. Not a single one on the defensive line. And it's way, way early. We just had National Signing Day for um, for this year, for 2019. So you've got time to, to make it happen. But um, – they, they've got to I, I would expect them like much like they did with the offensive line and the 2019 class. I would really expect Oklahoma to begin to look at Juco transfers, not a, not a ton of them, but one or two um, that they could pick up on the defensive tackle position. I think they're set at defensive end. I think they've got some studs at defensive end. I think they're pretty set at linebacker, but that that man in the middle has been really the the Achilles heel, if you if you'll let me use that phrase, for Oklahoma um, for quite for at least the last two years, maybe even go go all the way back to Baker Mayfield's first year when they played Clemson uh, in the Orange Bowl, and it was the defensive line. It was right there in the middle. Oklahoma just got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, those are the type of things that a a a guy like in Oklahoma hasn't had one since he left, but a guy like Jordan Phillips can fix on your roster. Rich, I don't know. Are you back or not? Yeah, I hope so. All right. I don't know. Did you hear any or all of what I just said? I heard, I I had no issues hearing you um, throughout the whole time. So I would just be speaking and then it sounded like you didn't know what was going on on my end. So I yeah I, I think I definitely think I'm a victim of Central American um, Wi-Fi here. I apologize for that. Yeah, give me yeah. Give well, me here's your the thing: is I keep I getting said. I keep getting the yield sign on my screen, uh, which I believe is is my internet cutting out. But regardless, I, I was agreeing with you before all of this um, in saying that the offensive line is more of the pressing issue because one of the staples of this Oklahoma offense has been the guard pool. When we see that, it takes experience, it takes timing, it takes a unit working completely together to not allow something to go awry when you use that as much as a program like Oklahoma does. So again, I was saying the likes of you know Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger are going to be reliant upon that, and the ground game is what's going to propel this offense this year, I believe. So even with these big-name receivers – coming onto campus, it all starts with the running game and de- the dependency upon that to open up this this passing game for Jalen Hurts and whoever's out there catching the ball. That's why I said the offensive line is the more important point of focus rather than it is the defensive line and more specifically the defensive tackle, knowing you've got two guys who can step in currently. All right, so, so knowing that... Um you're basically basic what you just said you're pretty much agreeing with me that you would rather have if you're going to get a grad transfer you would get, rather get a guy like proctor that would come in and play on the offensive side yeah is that, and, is that and i think saying? that's why it is and that's why i think oklahoma's been targeting them we haven't heard a single word about a defensive tackle and i had really chalked it up to the fact that 
there just aren't very many that are available. And the ones that are available in the transfer market aren't necessarily top tier. The, the guy that you would say, we have to have him. No, I agree. And, and like I said, I, I, I really feel like um, for 2020, you're ultimately going to see Oklahoma uh, go after some, not again, not a lot, but go after some of the top JUCO defensive tackles in the country. That's that's this year. Yeah, I think for for twenty for the twenty twenty class for for the upcoming class. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I definitely think it has to be a priority for Oklahoma to get someone in here who is physically ready to go, but also has some experience. I know that it's going to be a point of contention within the the coaching staff and their recruiting efforts throughout the twenty twenty recruiting cycle because you lose the only one you had from the twenty nineteen class. All of a sudden, it makes it that much more of a priority. Matt, before we had begun this podcast, you and I were over here talking about the number of offers that have gone out. And I'm seeing this overwhelming majority of offers going towards the defensive side of the ball. So I have to believe, one, Oklahoma is trying to address a couple of problems. It's been the concerns that we've seen all over the defense. Some of those voids or the holes that these offenses have been able to take care of or to take advantage of. And number two, I have to believe they're trying to increase the talent pool. I don't know if you saw Lincoln Riley's comments, but he said it's not that we can't recruit the top guys. It's just that they're not signing with Oklahoma because the defense hasn't been at a level where it's producing NFL talent. And ultimately, that that's the goal. I, I paraphrased and added some of my own spin on his things, but that's what I took it to mean. Everybody wants to play at Alabama, let's be honest. Everybody wants to play in the SEC if you're on the defensive side of the ball, because that's where the NFL talent is coming from. Why not be coached by one of those guys? I'm hoping the addition of Alex Grinch changes that. And like I said, we're seeing these numerous offers more than are going out on the offensive side of the ball. We're seeing a plethora of them go out on the defensive side of the ball as they're trying to change that. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, that, that reminds, reminded me a lot of what, uh, Mike Gundy said on the, uh, the the early signing period, you know, about just, yeah, we're, we're trying to get guys, but they're going to other places right now. Um, I I think you you go after what you can go after, and and but like you you want you want a home run, right? I mean, everybody wants a home run when you, when you're recruiting, um, you want that home run, but you'll settle for a triple, you'll settle for a double, you'll settle if you get on base, and and I think or you can hit I, the home run cycle. Or you can hit the home run cycle. Um, but I, I think what maybe I, I think maybe what happened with this staff is that they started settling instead of swinging. And, um, you know, I know I can get a double here instead of instead of swinging for a home run. Maybe that happened. I, I don't know 100 percent. But I also know that whenever you have fresh blood like like Alex Grinch, there, there's two there's two immediate effects that it, it causes. First of all, it causes some guys to no longer want to be there because that's not really what they got into. And and I think maybe you're seeing some of that with Derek Green and the way Ruffin McNeil's position has changed a little bit. You know, Derek Green signed thinking that Ruffin McNeil would be his coach, his everyday coach, but now that's not going to be the case. So he wants a new start. I, I get that. Okay. I, I understand. But the other effect that it has whenever you have fresh blood in there is that it it creates a new enthusiasm and a new sense of excitement 
and that becomes contagious on recruiting. And if you don't think these guys can recruit defensive players, then you really haven't been paying attention to recruiting because they've gotten the last two classes, they've gotten some pretty big time defensive recruits in and they did it on the 2019 class without having a defensive coordinator, which to me, two things there. First of all, really impressive for Lincoln Raleigh and staff to do that without a defensive coordinator. But again, also that also that makes Derek Green's decision that much more kind of head scratching, so to speak, because he knew when he signed with Oklahoma that it was it, there wasn't a defensive coordinator. He knew there would be changes when he came to Norman. He chose to enroll early. I feel like it's a different reason that he's leaving. But again, speculation is not really what we do, and it's not fair. But I think it has more to. I think there's more than just the reassignment of of Ruffin McNeil's coaching responsibilities. Yeah, it's hard to weigh in on that specifically with Derek Green. Um, because I know there's a lot of evolving situations. I certainly think it had something to do with it per the words of Derek Green himself, but I don't think it's the entire equation. I don't know what was told to him. I don't know what conversations he had leading up to signing, if he was led to believe something that wasn't necessarily true, or if he had made up his mind that something was true and it wasn't true in the end, which caused him to to begin to look elsewhere. Um, it just it I keep coming back to the fact that it leaves this hole in the recruiting class of 2019 that Oklahoma will, will never get back. I feel like no, I, yeah, and that's why I, I said like when we're having the when we're having the, the internet problems is that the, the loss of Derek Green will be felt more in 2020, 2021 than it will be in 2019. I feel like Oklahoma put all of their eggs in one basket. And then those <laughs> eggs were crushed. <laughs> all right, let, let's all. let's wrap it up. Sooner Nation, uh, the online podcast, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Um, a little bit of uh, technical glitches here, and we apologize for that. But let, let's, let, let's move forward. Uh, close it out with just a little bit of Oklahoma City Thunder Talk since the All-Star break. All right, so the Thunder went into the All-Star break. Um, with a 131 to 122 loss against New Orleans. They come out of the All-Star break with a double overtime win over Utah and then a loss to Sacramento. Currently, as we're recording this podcast, they are playing the Denver Nuggets. Is this is it a little, a little bit of a funk right now for Oklahoma City, or is it just, hey, um, you know, they're right now they're the third place team in the West. They're they're playing the second place team in the West as we speak, winning eleven to seven. By the way, a scoring update. But the the Oklahoma State schedule to close out the season is not an easy schedule. And I feel like when you see a team like Sacramento, and all due respect to to Buddy Hield, you know, uh, I love the guy to death, and and the season he's having. You got to beat Sacramento you, whenever, whether it's in Norman or whether it's in California or whether it's in Oklahoma City, wherever it is, when you play Sacramento, you got to win that game. When you look at the the, the backload of the schedule against teams like Denver, against teams like Golden State, the, the, uh, Houston, this are Oklahoma City fans. Two two part question to close out here, Rich. 
Are Oklahoma City fans prepared for this team to maybe take a slide from the three spot to the four or the five spot? Or is this team that we saw the first half of the season, is this the real Oklahoma City team with Paul George and Russell Westbrook doing the dynamic dual thing that we really haven't seen since the days of Kevin Durant? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here, but I, I am well, putting you I on the spot. Go, I want to go back to your buddy healed comment because in that game, I, I don't know if you got to see any of that, but in that game specifically, it appeared as though buddy healed could do no wrong. Um, and when a guy is on like that, there there's very little you can do to stop. And that's the kind of night that I felt like buddy healed had, with Sacramento when playing here in Oklahoma, essentially, he still has a following here. Let, let's be honest, okay? But like I said, when when a guy is on like that, it's it's kind of difficult to stop them. Trey Young had that kind of a night against Houston the other day. Um, but here here's the truth for me, Matt. When I look at this Oklahoma City Thunder team and I begin to evaluate what they're capable of versus how they've played, I have to go – with the idea that we have this dynamic duo of Russell Westbrook and Paul George because two games, three games doesn't decide the season for you. Now, while I agree with what a majority of the media has said and that in this divisional game, it's it's a pretty crucial contest, heavily dependent upon the outcome. It, it could really set the tone for what the remaining 20-something, 20-odd games that we still have in the regular season before the playoffs. It's really going to set the tone there. And you've mentioned it, the number two seed versus the number three seed at this point in time. Oklahoma, I think they're just shaking off a little bit of that funk, that rust, the idea of having this break in the middle of the season and getting back into the swing of things. Man, I I don't know what people do, but I'm going to assume that players go out and eat all the cheesecake that they want. So they're just working it off of it the next two or three games and and we'll see them return to form. Well, I think that, I mean, I know you joke about the whole cheesecake thing, but I think that you you look at a a college football player who goes into the, the banquet season, you know, in between the, the, the season end and the, um, in between the season end and, and and their bowl game or their playoff game or whatever. And, and they, they maybe lose a little step until they get back into game shape. All star break can be that for for nba players if they don't take care of their bodies if they and you know you you just you have a week where you get out of the habit of playing so uh, i don't know we'll we'll see how this denver game is is huge for oklahoma city um and we'll move forward from there and, and talk more about it next week let's let's wrap up uh one one quick thing for me to wrap up and i'll let you have your parting shot uh the way too early uh, bowl predictions are out uh, from Brett McMurphy, and um, he's got Oklahoma back in the playoff in 2019. Uh, the Sooners playing, uh, I, 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 gosh, I think it was against Georgia. Uh, I can look this up real fast. Um, the Sooners playing against Georgia, Clemson playing against Alabama. He's got OU in the Fiesta Bowl. Clemson, Alabama in the Peach Bowl. I think that would be a fun first round of the playoffs. Uh, really, you got a rematch of Oklahoma and Georgia in the Rose Bowl, and then you got a rematch of the national championship game from this season in the other bowl to open it up. But unfortunately, 
Brett McMurphy has Clemson versus Georgia in the national championship game, essentially meaning Jalen Hurts, in Brett McMurphy's opinion, isn't going to get Oklahoma further than Kyler Murray nor Baker Mayfield did. That's my parting shot. I, I would be – would you be okay, Richard? I would be okay with Oklahoma winning the Big 12 championship again and going to the college football playoff, even if it meant another loss to Georgia. I would still be okay with that because that means they did better than, you know, 100 and plus other college football teams did. I don't know that I'm on board with the the assessment there. And here's why is because the biggest story – Assuming that those are the four teams in the college football playoff, the biggest story would be Jalen Hurts facing Alabama. I think Alabama plays out for a yeah, that's what I said. No, I was agreeing with you. I was just I was just going it, with what you said. Well, and I I think the powers that be if they, sorry I think the powers that be if they wanted that they would do it as a uh, as I think they would set up just like this in the semifinals, giving Jalen Hurts the opportunity to, put to, to potentially face Alabama for the national championship. I think that would be the ultimate, um, ultimate thing for uh, for the college football playoff. If Jalen Hurts could play Alabama for all the marbles, and the only way you're really going to get that is if you were to um, if you were to make the semifinals just like Brett McMurphy had it laid out there. That's going to, that's going to do it, wrap it up for us in our technical difficulties here. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray, Sooner Nation online podcast, Harlan Sports, harlan-sports.com is where you can find us. We're also on Twitter at Sports Harlan. would love to hear your feedback and your comments on this episode of the podcast or any other episode, as well as anything we post online about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, we want to hear your opinions as well because they're important to us. Reach out to us and, and let us know. We'll be back next week with hopefully – a better technical podcast than what we had this week. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.